0: Welcome to the 103rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and recapping week 14 of the NFL season. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. In the NBA, Patrick went 3 1 with his predictions, Patrick went 1 3 with his National Football League predictions. And at NCAA basketball, Patrick went three and one this past weekend. So Patrick was seven and five overall in this past weekend's predictions. That brings him to two hundred and sixty nine and one hundred and ninety six overall, a fifty seven point eight percent winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts?
1: Well, uh, surprisingly, seven and five is actually only a fraction of a percentage uh, above my win percentage. Somehow, I thought I had a bad week, but I realized seven and five is actually overall the standard that I've set many bad weeks in there and I guess I have higher standards of what at least because of the last few weeks and then especially having a not so great week last week trying to get better again but I'll take an above 500 record I mean Lamar Jackson went down in the second quarter uh in in one of my games that wasn't very helpful uh the Warriors lost for what feels like the first time in a month I mean, I guess when you only have five losses, though, and the season's been going on for two and a half months, every loss feels like it's been forever. Um, but th- those two losses, I don't really, I don't really think are that bad. I think I picked the right teams; they just didn't perform. I mean, the Warriors barely lost that game to the 76ers in a very tight fourth quarter, uh, fourth quarter mainly game. Uh, and then, you know, some team. I mean, the only team I got right in the NFL. Their margin of victory was larger than the margin of defeat for all of the teams that I had picked uh, by far that we'll talk about it a little bit later, but let's just say the Chiefs and the Raiders did not exactly have the closest game on Sunday. Uh, Meanwhile, the Bills lost in overtime, so too bad on that one. It's an overtime game. The Rams only won by a possession and the Ravens barely lost at the end of their game and uh, and didn't even have Lamar in that game. Uh, So overall, not actually that bad when you look at how I lost. Um, in college basketball, uh, I picked all home teams and honestly, that might be the formula for the rest of the season. Not going to lie because especially when the higher ranked team is at home, there were three ranked matchups this week. Uh, three pretty big ones, Wisconsin at number 22 against number 21, Ohio state. I got that one right. Picking Ohio state number 11, Arizona beat Illinois on the road. Arizona is making a case for, I mean, we talked about it before the season a lot, there was no one to challenge UCLA in the Pac-12, other than USC, and they weren't a strong contender. I still believe USC can't challenge UCLA, but Arizona definitely can because Arizona has actually better talent than UCLA does um, in terms of NBA prospects with Ben Matherin, and, and also I mean they have the size, they have athleticism, they have really great shooting, they have really well-defined roles, and really if they limit their turnovers, they are a very very dangerous. They're a Final Four caliber team if they can limit turnovers and play up to their expectations and shoot well. Uh, Speaking of a team that shoots well, Alabama picked again this week just to go off on the team they were playing. They're also making a case up there with Arizona as one of the top teams in the country. Both of those teams easily within the top 10 now. Uh, Alabama beat Houston, number 14, at home. A really, really close game. Houston's still a very, very good team. But Alabama just has so much offense that no matter what happens, their guards are very dynamic and their simple style of, analy- it's its a little bit of a contradiction, but they have a very simple style of playing analytical basketball, which is don't shoot mid-range jumpers. Sorry, DeMar DeRozan. Sorry, Michael Jordan. Only shoot threes and only shoot layups. And if you're not going to get a three or layup, draw a foul. We're shooting from the free throw line. We're shooting threes and we're shooting and we're getting layups. And that's about all Alabama does. And it leads to 80 or 90 points per game because they always try to get out in transition they always have people cherry picking off of rebounds. They do a great job of running their system and their players are are, are so versatile that they can guard all the positions and then still get out in transition and be mismatches for everybody. Alabama really matches up well with a lot of teams in the country. Their win over Gonzaga last week proves that that even though they're definitely undersized against that caliber of a team, their their play style works if they're able to shoot well. Uh, But this game, they actually shot way under their season average in three-pointers, too. Uh, And then finally, the exact opposite of the Alabama-Houston game, Baylor became the first team, uh, or the second team ever, to hold a top-ten opponent under 40 points in a game in the entire shot clock era of college basketball. They held Villanova to 36 points. This game was the least close game that I've ever seen played by a team who did not even reach 60 points in the game. Villanova had no chance at almost any point in this game. They had a seven-minute scoring drought in the second half, and Baylor went on, like, I think a 7-0 run over the course of, like, 10 minutes because they barely needed to score to get the run going because Villanova just could not score. Uh, 57-36, the final score of that game, and, I mean, really, just what a job by Baylor's defense. Now... After winning the national championship, they're now back to number one again on top of college basketball as they have an undefeated start to the season. Looks like they were able to pro- to replace the production uh, from Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell from last season. That team's also dangerous. And then and talked about the NBA, talked about the NFL, but overall, a, a, a decent week.
0: All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Let's now move to our look back at NFL action from week 14. Patrick, what did you have as your best games
1: of week 14 in the NFL? Well, uh, it went away for a little bit. There was normally an overtime game in what felt like every single week to start the year, and then all of a sudden we had it slow down a little bit. But now to make up for the lack of overtime games in recent weeks, we got two of them this week, and actually both of them in very, very, very important playoff matchups. Uh, Matchups that really are going to shape the AFC playoff picture, Uh, When you look at it, by the end of the season, if these went the other way, you might be seeing a whole different playoff picture. Uh, In the end, you didn't. Um, The Buccaneers beat the Bills in overtime, 33-27. The Buccaneers had a 24-3 halftime lead. Tom Brady put his team in position to win, and his defense was not able to hold the Bills down whatsoever in the second half. Uh, again, getting exposed for really a weak passing defense that's happened this year. As long as you can avoid getting blitzed by them, you can pretty easily move the ball down the field if you get some quick passes out. Uh, The Bills did not run the ball a single time in the first half with a running back. Not a single time. That is not a joke. That actually happened. Uh, And as many people have said, they need to figure out how to run the ball because you cannot go and play I mean, did you see Did you see the game against the Patriots on Monday Night Football? You think, you think after seeing the Patriots throw three passes in an entire game and beat you at home that you don't need to run the ball at all? I mean, it, it's baffling to me that they don't even try it. Maybe the idea was last week they ran so much that this week they had to get back to their passing, then they're, they'll even it out over the next few weeks because they finally got in warm weather after being in cold weather uh, against New England. I, I really don't think that's a good plan, but also... Tampa Bay does have, I think, the number one rushing defense in the NFL. So makes sense that a team that hates running against the number one running defense and uh, semi-weak passing defense would choose not to run at all. But, I mean, not not at all. I, it's a little ridiculous to me. Um, but still the Bills engineer to comeback. Obviously, you don't need running to engineer a comeback. You actually only need passing. Their passing game was good enough to get it to overtime but in overtime the bills won the coin toss and you thought after they had scored 24 unanswered points in the second half up until about, well with the with the buccaneers field goal sorry outscoring the buccaneers 24 to 3 in the second half you would assume that as soon as they won the coin toss the game was over uh they didn't score the the bills were not able to score not even a field goal they punted i they i think they got one first down and then punted right after after not converting on a, the third and medium they punted. The Patriots got a first down. They had a really great punt, by the way. Had the Patriots, I think, inside the 5 or the t- or the 6. Uh, but then the Patriots were able to break out of it, get one first down, get another first down, and all of a sudden, Brashad Perryman, the hero of Tampa Bay. Of course, the dude who won them the Super Bowl last year. I mean, no. Brashad Perryman had one target in the game before this touchdown catch. And frankly, I don't remember him catching a ball on the rest of the season before this week. But a 40-yard catch, I mean, a great design route, very reminiscent of uh, Eric All's touchdown at the end of the Michigan-Penn State game. Um, just a slant coming across the field, or really a crossing route on the mesh type of concept, and it, it, they just got the throw. They got Micah Hyde mixed up in the secondary. He took a receiver. I think it was Chris Godwin. They were probably He was probably thinking about who was the bigger threat on that play. He came off of his receiver, and the Bills didn't pass up the coverage correctly. Uh, then you had Tremaine Edmonds, a linebacker, on Brashad Perryman, and he was just too fast. He got the corner. Uh, Edmonds tried to dive after him but couldn't get him, and Perryman just ran down the sidelines completely uncontested for a 40-yard touchdown in, to end that overtime game.
0: Yeah, it reminded me, same play, it reminded me of Eric Hall, except uh, this guy didn't have a sprained ankle and
1: and And, also, uh, well, and I was also going to say, and he was a little bit faster yeah. to begin with, too. Um, but moving on from that, you had the Niners and the Bengals with a similar type play to end the game, except for differently, uh, well, I mean, a receiver that doesn't get all the uh, acclaim necessarily on the Niners, and at the same time, di- or uh, differently, this play was not uh, an untouched play. This play had a lot of contact on it. But after the Bengals, I mean, the Bengals looked like they were getting killed in the first half, just like the Bills, and both these teams with their magnificent quarterbacks were able to pull it out. Uh, and make it close again. The Bengals made it, scored 14 in the fourth quarter, unanswered. Most, I mean, the game turned when Joe Burrow made the play on fourth and five with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Bengals were losing by 14 still. They were down 20 to six, and on a fourth and five with 35 seconds left in the first, in the second half, or in the fourth quarter. Sorry, with nine, with nine minutes left, I should say, on a fourth and five, Joe Burrow scrambled out to his right. Uh, he threw it to the back of the end zone, and Jamar Chase had the best tightrope act I've seen in a few years. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't even describe it. He just barely, he, he basically tightroped, walked as close as you could to the sideline at the back of the end zone without actually touching the line at the back of the end zone, and barely stayed in bounds to make a really great catch off of Joe Burrow's scramble. That was the first touchdown Cincinnati got. They went down the field, scored another touchdown but left a little bit too much time on the clock. The Niners came back and had an opportunity to kick a game-winning field goal, but with windy conditions and cold conditions uh, in in Cincinnati, although if you kick in San Francisco, you should be used to kicking in a lot of wind. Um, but in those conditions, Robbie Gould could not make, I think it was a 46-yarder or something, not exactly an easily made field goal, but couldn't make the field goal, and the game got pushed to overtime. And in overtime, the Bengals, just like the Bills, won the coin toss, they did score, but they only kicked a field goal. Uh, the 49ers had a fourth down end-all-be-all all of the game, and, I mean, if you couldn't predict it, they just threw a curl to George Kittle for six yards, and that was the last, the second-to-last play uh, that sealed Cincy's fate for this week. They threw a little pass, and Brandon Ayuk took it all the way up the sidelines having his own tightrope act, just like Jamar Chase in the back of the end zone, except for, for him, it was the last 10 yards uh, towards the end, going towards the goal line, go for the end zone, originally ruled out at the one, very obviously was not out at the one, stretched out, scored the touchdown, game over, 49ers went on a walk-off touchdown, uh, although obviously not as much fanfare as there was in Tampa Bay as was the team on the road, but when you look at those two games, you have the seven and four bangle, the seven and five Bengals, and the seven and five Bills. If the Bills win this game, they're back. They're back one game away from the Patriots. A win in Foxborough would put them tied with the Patriots for the division, assuming they all have the same results in the other games. Now, after this loss, you're two games back of New England with four games left in the season, and you need to go and beat New England in Foxborough, and make up another game somewhere in the rest of the season. I would not bank on that happening and frankly, it's probably not going to happen. I'll I'll put it that way. Um, For the Bengals, if they had won this game, they would have been on top of of the AFC North already. They wouldn't even need to do anything else. By virtue of the Ravens loss earlier in the day, the Bengals at eight and five with their win earlier in the season over Baltimore would be number one in their division. Now... The Bengals are going to have to do the same thing that the Bills are going to have to do. The only difference is the Ravens are 8-5 instead of 9-4, so the Bengals are going to have to beat the Ravens, and then they don't have to make up any other games, but they have to hold form and and hold serve with that um, for the rest of the season. And again, all those teams in the AFC North are fighting for playoff position. Uh, you could make the argument that Miami is in the Bills division, but they do. I think they still have a game against the Jets left, if I'm not wrong. Uh, so they might have a free win. They might not. Actually, they might have already played both of the games. We'll see. I don't really know exactly. Um, but moving on from that 49ers game, and like I said, it had a lot of impact from the Ravens and Browns game. The Ravens lost 22-24 on the road to the Browns. The Browns moving to 7-6 and with this win. The Ravens moving to 8-5. and uh, A little bit of a preview of when we talk about the playoff picture. This win did not move Cleveland into the playoff picture But it did move them ahead of Cincinnati uh, because the Browns already beat Cincinnati. And by the way, that's another thing that you have to consider with the Browns and with Cincinnati. The Browns beat Cincinnati in Cincinnati. Now Cincinnati's going to have to go on the road and beat the Browns in Cleveland. And I'm pretty sure also beat Baltimore in Baltimore. Good luck. I mean, Joe Burrow's great. Jamar Chase is great. T. Higgins is great. That whole team is great. Joe Mixon's great. I don't think they have what it takes to go on the road and win those games just yet. Maybe in a different year, but I think they're just a little bit too young still. Uh, and I mean, it depends on Lamar Jackson's injury status, honestly, for the Ravens. And I, I could definitely see the Bengals beating the Browns, but I don't think, just based on knowing how these types of games work late in the season, I just feel like they're not going to be able to get it done. Um, but the Browns, a great game that they played against the Ravens, really let the Ravens back into it, honestly. They didn't have to. Keep this game close, but they did. Uh, they weren't really able to close it out necessarily, but the Ravens end up losing the game, 22 to 24. And I mean, that's just kind of the way it goes for the Ravens. Another close loss, uh, another game where really two point conversions, again going for it, could have saved them the game, uh, but it didn't this week for the second time. Uh, and I mean, and by the way, the the thing that I'm talking about is if they had not gone for two earlier in the game and missed it, if they had kicked an extra point it would have been 23-24 to 24 heading into an extra point on the next Ravens touchdown, which would have made it possible for the Ravens to tie the game on an extra point and put it 24-24 in overtime. Although then again, John, John Harbaugh might be thinking the same way he was thinking last week, that based on the injury situations, they're not going to beat a divisional team on the road in an overtime game when they have no corners last week, and when they have no quarterback this week. So I don't really blame them for the decision. But at at this point, you wonder if they're just going to stop being aggressive. I doubt it. Ask Lamar Jackson. He always wants to go for it. Fourth and three, fourth and four, frankly, fourth and six. Um, But the Ravens do need to figure this situation out and really just hope that Lamar Jackson is healthy, because that's going to lead them to the playoffs. But if he's not healthy, they're going to have some long-term issues.
0: Yeah, uh, that could be the bigger loss of last weekend than the game itself. All right, well, let's go to your most disappointing teams or team.
1: Well, before we move on to this other AFC North team, Lamar Jackson is expected by the earliest injury report possible to play on Sunday. But again, that's probably coming straight from Lamar's mouth. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't really doubt that he would say that, but you never know what happens later in the week. And you know, NFL players are tough. They're going to play through injuries, and even if he isn't healthy, he will probably still play, honestly. Um, yeah, AFC North continuing at that theme. Man, what are the Steelers doing? I mean it's every single week they have something new that's just so stupid of how they lose a game. Just when you start to have hope for them. The comeback against the Chargers. I mean they still lost that game, but they came back, they scored 27 points in the fourth quarter against the Chargers. The Chargers almost choked almost choked it. I mean but they didn't. And then now you have the Vikings. Where the Vikings... Actually, I, I can make a case for being disappointed in both teams in this game, That's honestly. why I wasn't sure whether so, it was the Steelers uh, or both. That's actually why I kept the teams there instead of just putting team. I actually am disappointed in both. But I'll start with the Steelers. So the Steelers against the Chargers were able to mount this massive comeback and never win the game. They did the same thing this week. But again, how are the Vikings even keeping this close? It just shouldn't be. And I don't really know how this keeps happening... But the Vikings have to keep every single game close. And, I mean, look, I don't have many words about it, honestly. It's just both of these teams that the Steelers get down by so much so early for really no reason. If they run their fourth quarter offense in the whole game, maybe it probably has to do with the defensive scheme of how teams are guarding them, playing a little bit safer and softer defense. Um, but if they do what they do in the fourth quarter in the first quarter, they would be like 8-3-1 and one maybe this year? I mean...
0: So this game, they were down twenty-three nothing in the half. Yeah, and then they scored twenty-one points in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, just like the Chargers game where they scored twenty-seven in the fourth quarter. But again, how are the Vikings leaving every single game to one possession? They, they were one pass breakup away from not. They were one pass break up away from having to defend a two-point conversion to keep this game from going into overtime. I mean, th- this game was ridiculous. And I mean, if Pat Fryermuth got the ball knocked out of his hands in the end zone, and that was the only thing saving the Vikings from having another meltdown, just like last week, where they couldn't stop the Lions from getting a fourth and two from the 11-yard line with four seconds left on the last play of the game. They learned their lesson, I guess, but imagine if they could stop two end of the last play of the game uh, situations from the 10 from outside of the 10, then they would be seven and six instead of six and seven, but instead we're looking at a six and seven Vikings team that only got one of those two stops.
0: All right, well, who are your most impressive teams from uh, Week 14?
1: Well, I don't often call a team impressive for beating the Lions, but I, I commend the Broncos on playing for a cause this week. Or this weekend, playing for Demarius Thomas and getting the win for number 88 and winning by 28 points. I mean, an easy, easy win over the Lions. But this is exactly what they need to do. In the same way that the Vikings, which I'll get off the Vikings soon, but... In the same way that the Vikings could have beaten the Lions to be 7-6, the Broncos had an opportunity to go to 7-6. They just flat-out stomped the Lions. They made sure that there was no way that this game was ever going to be close. They kept it way out of the Lions' reach, and that was the end of it. Um, Another team that I don't often uh, have on the losing end of of impressive team side, the Jets, lost to the Saints 30-9. Look, all I have to say is the Saints snapped a five-game losing streak, and they... The way they looked in this game did not look like a team that had a five-game losing streak. They looked like a team that had been playing pretty well for most of the season. Um, In a similar way to how the Rams bounced back last week against the Jaguars after their three losses in a row. That's basically what the Saints did this week. Uh, And I guess Taysom Hill is really the difference here. With them almost good enough to beat the Cowboys, not quite yet. But uh, a good defensive performance, that's what I was really impressed with. They didn't let the Jets score any touchdowns pretty much. Um, and then that's, I mean, that's pretty much the story of the same season. They're going to have to rely on their defense for the rest of the year if they want to make the playoffs. Although if you look at the NFC, I mean, you could, you could make the case for any of the teams really six through 11 that they could make the playoffs. And you could also make the case for number 13, just based on who's on their roster that they have a chance, but I'll get to that later. Um, but the, a- the NFC is just a mess, so the fact that, I mean, 7-11 and 11 are tied at 6-7. and 7. New Orleans is tied for a playoff spot. They're only out of the playoffs by a tiebreaker right now, and the team in the playoffs is Washington. They could easily overtake Washington and get a playoff spot, and they have a perfect opportunity to jumpstart that. After Washington lost to division foe Dallas, the Saints play the Buccaneers on Monday night football next week. If the Saints are somehow able to pull out a miraculous win on the road against the Buccaneers, this team is going to make the playoffs if they win that game. Because first of all, if they play well enough to beat the Buccaneers, they're definitely going to play well enough to beat Carolina Carolina, and Atlanta again late in the season. And if they play this well, 7-7 seven seven I don't think is a mark that Washington... I think Washington, if you take their biggest division rival, they're not going to win their next game against Dallas because that one's on the road for them. So... Really, whoever wins a big game against a division rival out of Washington, Minnesota, Philadelphia, Atlanta, or New Orleans, what, that team is going to make the playoffs. Um, but let's move on from that and go now to the game that I was talking about earlier. Yannick Ngakwe called the block party on the Chiefs logo, and let's just say it backfired. Uh, the Chiefs won 48-9. Not much analysis to do here other than when your, when your game starts with a simple sweep, a very safe play, just, you know, a regular running back sweep to the left side, and then you fumble, and it goes right to Mike Hughes, and he takes it into the end zone immediately on the first play, and without even running an offensive play, the Chiefs are already up seven to nothing, and you've now spotted them seven points, and you've also spotted them the motivation before the game, you're not going to beat Kansas City at Arrowhead when you do that. It's not it's not possible. And this game just proved that not only is it not possible, it's not likely, it's impossible. They had no chance for this entire game. As soon as the first play was over, I think the Raiders proceeded to three and out on that on the next drive. When they got the ball back again, then the Chiefs scored on their first drive. Then they scored twenty one points in the thir- in the second quarter, uh, and they were up thirty five to three at the half. And that was, I mean, that's the game. That that's pretty much the summary of the game. They added in some garbage time points. The Chiefs had a very very long time consuming, very Kansas City type drive where. Other teams might have ran the ball and milked the clock for nine minutes, eight minutes, and the Chiefs just did it by short passes and a few runs mixed in, and even a deep shot or two backed backed themselves up with some penalties and still overcame them, and got like a five or six uh, minute drive that really just made it so that the Raiders had no time left. The Raiders were resting starters in the fourth quarter. This game was not close at all. The Chiefs absolutely demolished the Raiders. And finally, their offense did not look as potent as it looked in the Super Bowl year, but their defense looks even better, and that's the takeaway I have for the Chiefs that I'm very, very impressed by their defense. Well, this was finally the after, after they played a very, very weak schedule of the best team they played was the Packers without Jordan Love. The Raiders are actually a quality team. They're not a great team, but they are a good enough team. Just ask the Cowboys how good the Raiders are. So they're good enough.
0: All right. Well, they're definitely one of your most impressive teams every time they play the Raiders this year. Any other impressive team this week?
1: The Rams' win over Arizona was definitely the most impressive win of the week. It's not even close. Without the big three H's, I guess I'll call them. Tyler Higbee starting tight end. Daryl Henderson starting running back. And starting left tackle Rob Havenstein, or starting right tackle Rob Havenstein. And then also without Jalen Ramsey and Dante Dion, who's the backup cornerback to Jalen Ramsey, the Rams went on the road and beat the team with the best record in the league, them being the Arizona Cardinals, 30 to 23. It was just a great game played by the Rams. They got back to the identity that really honestly brought them to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, which was a lot of play-action passing. And uh, one difference with the Rams this year is that all the play-action passes with Jared Goff that were maybe 20 to 15, 15 to 20-yard gains, sometimes a 30-yard gain if a dude broke a tackle, they have now turned into 60-yard touchdowns to Van Jefferson and to Cooper Cup from Matt Stafford because his arm is just that good and he's just that much stronger. He he has a lot more presence. He's more mobile than Jared Goff. That is the upgrade that the Rams have been looking for all season. That's what they got this week. And frankly, the Rams defense didn't even play too bad. Got one turnover, got got an interception in the red zone when the when the Cardinals were up 3-0 nothing. The game turned on its head. Cardinals were up 3-0 nothing. They got into the red zone. They were about to make it 10-0 nothing and the Rams got an interception. That really turned the game uh, Ernest Jones with the interception. And then as the Rams, as the Cardinals were trying to make it, uh, were trying to narrow down the Rams lead later in the game, Leonard Floyd came up with an interception and the Rams extended their lead from there. Uh, really a great game played by the Rams defense. Honestly, it, it, it was it, maybe the scoreboard giving up 23 doesn't sound great, but in reality, they played a good game and the offense played even better, uh, to ensure the Rams won this game.
0: All right. The most impressive players from week 14.
1: Dalvin Cook with an NFL high this year, 205 rushing yards. That was on 27 carries, also with two touchdowns, only one catch. But I mean, when you when you do that while running the ball, you don't need to catch it much. He was the reason why the Vikings took their lead, and then all of a sudden, even though they were supposed to be icing the clock, they kind of went away from him a little bit. But I'm not. I'm done with the Vikings for now. Um, George Kittle from San Francisco, 13 receptions, 151 yards, and one touchdown, and then also. Matt Stafford, who had a receiver who also had 13 receptions and a touchdown, that being Cooper Cup, but just less yards, so I included Kittle instead. Stafford, 23 of 30, 287 yards, three touchdowns, and most importantly, did not turn the ball over this week. The Rams didn't turn over the ball at all, and the Cardinals' red zone turnover and also the other interception that they threw really pretty much gave the Rams this game. And I mean, just a great play over. I mean, great play overall by the Rams. And Matt Stafford was really the catalyst of that.
0: All right, let's take a look at the AFC playoff picture.
1: We can start with New England at number 1. I was talking about their situation in terms of winning the division over Buffalo. They are 9 and 4. Then you have Tennessee at 9 and 4, and then you also have Kansas City at 9 and 4 in that order, second and third. Then you have Baltimore, the 4 seed at 8 and 5. Then finally you have the Chargers at 8 and 5 also. You have Indianapolis somehow you know, Indy gets great wins every single week, and you don't realize it. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, my God, Indiana! Must, Indianapolis must be making the playoffs. And then you realize that they actually are not in the playoff picture. And all of a sudden, the one week where they don't get an impressive win, they don't get a loss, they literally do not play a game. On their bye week, they move from, I think, 10th or 11th in the playoff picture to 6th, all the way into the playoff picture. So Indianapolis here at 7 and 6 now. Just by virtue of the fact that number six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, all those seeds have seven and six records, somehow the tiebreakers have turned out that Indianapolis has the tiebreaker. Probably has to do with their head-to-head win over Buffalo, and it went over the the, the Browns probably. I mean, I, I, I don't understand NFL tiebreakers, honestly. College football is much simpler when it comes to that kind of stuff. But uh, nonetheless, Indy's in sixth. Buffalo is now in seventh at seven and six. Cleveland is tied at eighth in seven and uh, with a seven and six record. Cincinnati has fallen below Cleveland now to ninth with a seven and six record and Denver is at 10th with a seven and six record. I think I mean I again, I am not great with this tiebreaker stuff, but somehow possibly if this scenario ends up the way it does at the end of the season, I guess this might be how the five-team tie turns out. Although I think for the game, I think for the records to turn out this way, some of these teams have to beat each other and then lose to other teams, which changes division records and conference records and head-to-head records, which changes all the tiebreakers. So basically, what I'm trying to tell you here is, don't rely on any of the tiebreakers right now. We don't know what's going to happen. They play each other too many times, uh, and that that that, seven, that six through ten. I mean, you could name a lot of teams who could make it there. I still have my money on the teams who are in it, though. The, I, I said it from the start that I thought Indy was going to jump somebody, probably Cleveland or Cincinnati, and make it in the playoffs. Because Indy's division is terrible. Uh, other than Tennessee, there's no one in that division who can challenge them because they have two teams eliminated from playoff contention, Houston and Jacksonville, uh, on their schedule in the rest of the season. And then besides that, they could actually win against Tennessee, Based on who Tennessee has on their roster now, if that's an important game for them, Tennessee might be resting players by that time in the year, so we don't know. But I think Indy just because of that schedule it really favors them. And Buffalo, I just have to go with just because of the talent. I mean, they're just more talented than Cleveland, Cincinnati, or Denver. Then you have the disappointing Pittsburgh Steelers at 11th uh, at the 11th seed at six six and one. I only included Las Vegas at 6-7 because Miami is also at 6-7 and and it feels like they haven't lost in a month and they actually haven't lost in a month. Um, Vegas is going the opposite way of Miami, but they still have the same record and Vegas is technically ahead of them. Miami is the one team that could really throw a wrench into this. If Miami were somehow able to pull out a win against Buffalo at home, all of a sudden Miami would probably take Buffalo's playoff spot. And if anybody has watched any late-season football when looking for seeding, you know that every single year the Patriots somehow find a way to lose a game to the Dolphins that they definitely shouldn't be losing. And it never affects them, but it always affects everybody around them. I'm just saying it could happen again this year, and you could have Miami making the playoffs by virtue of either the Patriots' resting players or them just really not caring about what happens as much and already having the division locked up. Just watch out for it happening, and if it happened, I told you so. Uh, moving on from the AFC, you now have the updated NFC playoff picture with Arizona's loss. Green Bay now takes over the number one seed. This playoff picture looking eerily similar to last year's playoff picture. Uh, the 10-3 and 3 Green Bay Packers, now the NFC is going to run through Lambeau. I mean the playoffs running through Lambeau and Foxborough, it's like nothing's changed. It's like Tom Brady's still on the Patriots. It's like he's not even in the NFC. It's like Aaron Rodgers never had any controversies whatsoever, and everything's just back to like 2017 or something like that. But in a very different world, we still have the same teams at the top, which just goes to show you how great these franchises are at keeping up a winning team. But finally, 10-3 and three, uh, Green Bay in number one. You have 10-3 and three Tampa Bay at number two. Then you have, and by the way, the, the Buccaneers haven't lost at home in a while. Uh, Lambeau has some tough weather to play in, but the Buccaneers, if they get home field advantage, are going to be very, very dangerous. The one seed this year, though, obviously ever important, is it's the only seed that will get a bye. Uh, then you have Arizona at 10-3, who were the number one overall seed until they lost to the Rams this weekend, or today, actually, I should say. Uh, then you have Dallas at 9-4 after their win against Washington. They are they're 9-4. and four. They have the same record as the Rams, They're the number four overall seed here as a division leader. Then you have LA at nine and four. Uh, they're number five. Then you have San Francisco at six. They are seven and six. You have Washington at six and seven. You have Minnesota at six and seven in the eighth spot. You have Philadelphia at six and seven in the nine spot. Then you have Atlanta at six and seven in the 10 spot. And finally you get to new Orleans. Who's also six and seven in the 11 spot. Uh, it really shows you the quality of the of the uh, of the of the conferences as a whole. That the AFC has a bunch of ties of seven and six teams, and a six and seven team in thirteenth place, who's on a five game winning streak, and the NFC has five teams tied at seventh in the playoff picture at six and seven, with a bunch of teams on losing streaks. A team that switches out their quarterback every game, uh, and a team that that hasn't had their starting quarterback since like week four or something. And then you also have a team whose starting quarterback is an undrafted player whose entire legacy is basically playing well in a loss against the Patriots. So look, the NFC is a mess. Um, the one thing is maybe if Atlanta didn't have such a history of choking, people would be taking their their run seriously. After all, they are tied for a playoff spot. But at this point, it just feels like there's some magic in the name Washington football team that's just allowing this team to squeak into the playoffs for no apparent reason. Uh, they will lose in the first round, probably to Tampa Bay. But they might sneak in, honestly. I would not be surprised because Minnesota just always finds a way to lose these close games, and then finally someone's going to start playing them better, and maybe they will lose a not-close game for once. And I don't really see them blowing out many teams. They already they already choked one of their chances against the Lions. Uh, Philadelphia, I don't think Jalen Hurts is a playoff-caliber quarterback nor is Gardner Minshew. Carolina, I could say the same thing. They're at 5-8. and eight. The one guy who's way down here who you might have to think about is the fact that in a mess of six and seven teams with no quality level starting quarterbacks, you do have Russell Wilson and a five and eight Seahawks team that somehow is only one game back of a playoff spot. And I know it sounds like it's going to be crazy. It sounds like there's no way, but they're one game back somehow after all this, they are one game back. If the five teams ahead of them all lost next week, they might be in the playoffs by the end of next week. And by the way, it's highly possible that all those five teams lose, and they'll lose a bunch more times in the rest of the season. New Orleans, Atlanta, and Carolina all, all have to play each other a bunch more times. Frankly, Atlanta wouldn't be 6-7 and seven unless they played Carolina this week. They were both 5-7 and seven going into the week. One of them had to be 6-7. and seven. So the NFC is terrible um, beyond pretty much number five, I would say. I mean, San Francisco's been playing really, really well recently, so I'll give them some credit. But beyond number six, especially when you look at the records and then you look at the quarterbacks playing, the NFC is not very good this year in terms of depth. Uh, ironically enough, in the year where they add more teams to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, you said the NFC's a mess. I think this new playoff format's a mess. Ah, <clears throat> all these teams, five you're five and eight after 13 games. You should be eliminated. You shouldn't be in play in the hunt for the playoffs anyway. Uh,
1: well, they still would be even if it was even if there were all, there were six teams in the playoffs. It would just be that they'd be two games back instead of one. But
0: with three to play, if they didn't, hadn't expanded to seventeen weeks, I don't. Like well, that's it.
1: the that's the week schedule, though not the playoff, I, the, not the playoff I, format. I,
0: I don't like this, but we'll see what happens. I I, I think that you're rewarding some crappy teams and penalizing the second best team in the league in order to allow a crappy team into the playoffs, and then watch what happens when that crappy team upsets that that team that went ten and something in the regular season. It's
1: well, I will say first of all, it was fun last year, and second of all. If one more game in the playoffs allows Russell Wilson, or one more game in the regular season allows Russell Wilson to get in the playoffs, I'm not saying I consider Seattle as a contender. But with the preseason expectations, depending on who ends up as a division winner, I honestly think that if Arizona gets gets uh, the number two seed, I would put Arizona on upset alert against Seattle. I, I honestly just think just because of the experience difference. I mean, Russell Wilson's been to more Super Bowls than Kyler Murray's been to playoff games. So when you look at that, the Seahawks would actually have a legitimate chance. I mean, they don't have a chance against Green Bay or Tampa Bay, so they better hope they don't get the seventh seed, or they better hope that Tampa Bay slides down. But I seriously think there is a chance there, and I agree with you. It's rewarding the bad teams, but it, not necessarily, I don't think it's a, it's a rewarding the bad teams. I think really you're just looking at an odd year. I think most of the years we have multiple 10-6 and six teams miss the playoffs, In both in both divisions. And this year, you just have a ton of teams who are just sitting in the six and seven range that committed to veteran quarterbacks that aren't championship caliber and aren't really trying to restart their franchises like New Orleans, like Washington. Minnesota is different because they're committed to Kirk Cousins. But Philadelphia shouldn't be here. I mean, you can make the argument for a lot of these teams. Atlanta probably could have drafted a quarterback, and everybody, could, and everybody probably thinks that. So it's more a factor of these teams trying to stay in the middle. And by the way, that's probably part of the reason why, is because of the expanded playoff format that they see one extra team added, and they think they actually have a chance.
0: All right, well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, December 17th where we will focus on basketball with our weekly analysis of NBA and NCAA action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, and his upcoming predictions for every college football bowl game, including the college football playoff semifinals, which will be published tomorrow, and it will be updated throughout the bowl season based on player opt-outs, just to make sure the... uh, accuracy factors there yeah and oh, i mean
1: I'll, I'll adjust it throughout i'm not going to exact i'm not going to update every se- i'm not going to uh, send uh a post updates or anything every single time i update it but if you see that there's an opt-out check to see if i've updated it because i'll update it pretty much immediately
0: and you won't update games that have already of course completed. yeah
1: yeah and then i will be tracking live the results of that probably at the top of that page somewhere though so keep all that stuff
0: that. on our website fourthand24.com that's the number four t-h-a-n-d the number 24.com thank you for listening